Welcome to Burned by the Firewall, an Occamsec podcast. Hello, and welcome back to another installment of Burned by the Firewall with myself, Darren Anderson. Mike Kropka is with us as always. And today we're joined by an uh, ex-colleague of mine based here in the UK, so taking a slight departure from our usual US-based guests, so that's pretty exciting. So I'd like to welcome along with Mike Rory Innes to the podcast. Hi, Rory. Hi, both. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course, Rory. It's great It's great having you here. We're looking forward to, uh, to diving into all the different things that, that you do uh, in, in, this, in this area, which is cybersecurity. Uh, but before we do that, and, and we get into the meat and potatoes of our, of our chat, um, we like to ask our guests a few icebreaker questions, right? And so one of the more recent ones that, that I'd like to ask is in this sort of time that we've been, we've been in recently and kind of coming out of maybe, if you will, do you have any favorite like movies or streaming series that you've been kind of really getting into, whether it's just with, you know, on, on your own or with your family? Yeah. I mean, lots of stuff because that's how I've been filling my time largely for the last two, three years. But right. the fact that 90% of all of my digital entertainment is kids TV, the stuff I get to watch. Um, I'm super excited about Top Gun 2. Haven't seen it yet. But um, Top Gun was like a formative movie for me as a young child. So Top Gun 2, very excited. Um, we watched something really good recently called Russian Doll. I don't know if you've heard of it on Netflix. No, I have uh, not. Yeah, really good. I hadn't heard of it. The actress who plays the main character won an Emmy for it, actually. But it's, it's really good, really enjoyable. And then I've just finished listening to a podcast called The Great Post Office Scandal. Uh, yeah, yeah, big news in the UK, wasn't it? Yeah, this might be lost on people in the US slightly, but there was a very large scandal in the UK, mm. the post office here, and the rollout of an accounting system which was faulty and led to lots of post office workers going to prison, um, even though they probably shouldn't have. So it's a really good kind of expose of um, abuse of power and the scandal. So yeah, that was really good. Yeah. Top Gun for me as well, formative childhood movie. I remember having, you know, my my, my toy airplanes and, and kind of going along with the movie. Um, I'm looking forward to it as well. Should, should be a good one. We're going to bring you back to a, another icebreaker question that's more of the traditional uh, season one, season two style of Burned by the Firewall. But what's your favorite piece of childhood technology? So I was talking to one of my children about this recently, but when I was probably... I don't know, maybe five or six years old for Christmas, I got this toy, which was a Captain Power. Do you remember who Captain Power was? No. I, I don't even, I, I don't know if this existed in one toy that I had as a child, but I don't remember <laughs> anything else. <sighs> Captain Power was some sort of space hero who, um, this toy was a VHS video which pretended you were a cadet learning to fly a spaceship and fight in captain power's army and you had a toy gun like it was a gun in the shape of a fighter jet with a trigger and a little figure who sat in the cockpit and when you have, you, dream, have you dreamed this rory or i mean, I, I mean it's 100 percent true i've googled it since and you as you went through the video, you would go into these battles and there'd be little red zones in the VHS you had to shoot at. And if you got shot, 
this little guy ejected out of the plane. <laughs> and for years and years, I thought there was some real magic going on where the TV was like, shooting something at this jet. And I'll never forget the day I was playing with the jet. The video wasn't on and it just ejected. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not in the Captain Power Jet Academy. This is really bad news. But it was the best toy. You know, I'd be hiding behind the couch, shooting at these red zones against some aliens. Yeah, that was the... It, I'm sure it was called the Captain Power Jet, and it had a VHS in this toy, which I have so many fond memories of. No, you know, that is one. That is a new one on me. Did that make it over to Hawaii or the States, Mike? It, it didn't, but I, I have to say that is probably uh, one of the most fun answers that we've got so far. That's great. I, I can definitely feel the, you know, the, the childhoodness of that toy, right? It's, it's like that magic and that mystique. And then you sort of like, wait a minute, that, that really wasn't everything that I thought it was. But when I thought it was, it was amazing, right? I'm sure there must be on YouTube a clip of that VHS somewhere which I need to hunt out and watch again. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting one. No, I can't, I can't say I remember that one at all, but to, to, to sort of combine it with a VHS sort of video aspect is just perfect for kind of 80s, uh, 80s technology, yeah? Yeah, we use the term technology quite loosely there, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Oh, at the, the time... time. Oh, at the time, it felt amazing. Yeah, remote controls with wires on them and stuff. I mean, you know, fantastic. But um, maybe not going quite as far back as the 80s, Rory, but you and I do go, uh, obviously, a, a good while back. We worked together, of course, in SecureWorks or Dell SecureWorks, as it uh, latterly became known. <clears throat> and um, getting you on the show today is great, because I know a little bit about what you've been working on for the past few years. Rory, and we're going to go into that and, and hear from you uh, around the, the cyber helpline. Um, but, you know, I guess that we're all here with a shared common interest and, in, um, you know, helping the community, helping people understand security, cybersecurity better. Um, and, yeah, could, could you tell us a bit, therefore, Rory, about the cyber helpline and, and really what sort of uh, inspired you to, to start it? Yeah, so it's five years ago now that um, I founded the Cyber Helpline. And the realisation that I came to was that not enough is being done to support victims of cybercrime and online harm. So if you're just a member of the public or a very small business and you get hacked, you get scammed, you're harassed somehow, you have some sort of malicious online activity that causes you harm. And that harm might be mental, it might be financial, it could be a whole range of things. There is so little expert help out there. And, you know, I, and back in the day, having worked in cybersecurity for a long time, whenever people came to me, I was like, you know, just go to the police, it'll be fine, they'll help you out. And then those people would keep coming back and say, that didn't help, you know, and right. responded. Um, and then people kept going to kind of the local IT guy and, you know, he just factory reset devices and start you off again and, you know, kind of wipe all the evidence and not help with the issue. And so had this idea five or six years ago that why don't the 
people with the skills, the cybersecurity experts, step in and help fill some of that gap. Because every cybersecurity company I've worked in, people do loads of volunteering, they do loads of kind of corporate social responsibility stuff. You know, cybersecurity people are good people. So why isn't there a vehicle for those people to help victims of cybercrime? And so we set the cyber helpline up as a movement by the industry to step in and fill some of that gap, essentially. And over the last five years, what we've really done is built an instant response, a free instant response capability for the general public and super small businesses, essentially. Wow. That's awesome. That's incredible. And that's also incredibly difficult to, to do, I, I think, from scratch in terms of incident response, right? Um, especially if you've got multiple things popping up uh, at, at once, right? In, in, a, in a, let's say, a bad week or a bad day for, for, for you, per se. But in order to deliver all this, do you partner with anybody or anybody specifically that, that you want to discuss on the podcast with us? Yeah, I think if you look at the... the idea behind the cyber helpline the idea is that this is a movement by the community you know so it's not just any individual or one organization if we're going to do this successfully and help millions of people every year then we're going to have to do this in collaboration and we have um, all sorts of organizations and individuals supporting us from people who volunteer from across the industry we have organizations like um Fish tool who give us free email for email forensics kind of analysis tools to help spot phishing emails. You know, we have a sponsor and access insurance who help us financially. So we have all of these different bits of the cybersecurity industry and, and sometimes the wider technology industry, either giving us stuff for free that helps us help people or giving us information or giving us funding and resource that helps us really keep alive and and helping as many people as possible. Awesome. So I think, you know, what you're describing sort of is, is similar to uh, an organization that Occamsec has been a part of in Hawaii called Cyber Hawaii. And essentially it's, it's people from the community volunteering their time within an organized sort of unit, right? Very focused on, uh, you know, three or four different uh, domains of cybersecurity for small businesses, right? Um, you know, the, the mom and pop shops, as we like to call them in Hawaii, uh, those types of things, right? Um, so from your standpoint, like, again, I, I'm just genu- genuinely curious, like, how all this comes together for you, like all these entities, like, how do you bring this all together to, to run your service? And then, um, you know, is there maybe like a demographic that you feel you deal with more often? Like, is there like a, a clientele that, that is more prevalent than, than not? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's worth taking a step back and thinking how hard it was to build this this capability because, you know, having the idea of, hey, why don't cybersecurity people just volunteer and help the general public um, is a really easy thought to have. And it makes complete sense. And you can kind of, you know, we put a website out and said, hey, if you need help, give us a shout. We came up against a couple of problems really quickly. One, supply and demand. There was a lot of demand. You know, there are millions of victims in the UK every year. Um, at the time, we had two or three volunteers who could maybe take a couple of cases a month on top of work. So we had to think about how we're going to scale this thing. Right. And you know, now we're opening 
800 cases a month and we've helped 13, 14,000 people. So it's scaling really quickly. The second thing is, if you have a career in cybersecurity or information security or that kind of field, doesn't mean you have an innate knowledge of how to deal with cyber stalking or revenge porn or online harassment or sextortion, all of these really tough human issues. And so what we really had to do was go back and say, what are the issues that individuals and small businesses face online? And there are 40 to 50 different categories of attack that we will help people with. And then we had to map out, okay, what do you actually do? Like, how do you get involved in a cyberstock case and not make it any worse than it is? Um, and also, how do you teach cybersecurity experts who may not be known for their social skills and empathy that someone is super stressed on the phone or email, you're trying to deal with that. You kind of want to get to the technical bit, but actually there's a human bit we've got to deal with here as right. well. So, so, you know, it took a long time to kind of build that service out. And then if you look at who we're helping, you know, these are individuals, members of the public. We help anyone from 13 years old, older. I would say the vast majority is people in their 20s, 30s, maybe 40s, who are being harassed online, bullied online, being stalked, um, cyber stalked. And then are a kind of maybe slightly older cross-section who are being scammed, um, you know, being tricked into um, losing money. But it's such a wide range of things. You know, in some areas like cyber stalking, it's women. In some areas like sextortion, it's men. Um, it's just a real cross-section of the population. And then we'll help any really small business. So, you know, we call them sole traders in the UK. Um, you know, they operate like an individual. They're out there, you know, running a business. They're painters, they're plumbers, they're hairdressers, whatever they do. Um, and those individuals face just the same type of cyber attacks as bigger businesses often, but they're a plumber or a hairdresser. You know, they don't have a technical team, an IT team. And so giving that experience and expertise to people who just don't have it when they need it. Yeah, that's, that's great, Rory. Thanks. And yeah, I mean, um, I guess, uh, you know, unenviable task to some degree assisting victims of, of cybercrime, as you say, there's such a human emotional element as well as often technical complexity and, and, and difficult subject matter as, as such. Um, and, you know, as, as we know within the industry as well, for those working in incident response and, and forensics, the kind of space to do that, the cost, the, the resources are quite hard to come by. And, and as we know, in a business context, you know, expensive as well. So, you know, as you talk about the, the scaling up aspect there as well, Rory, which, you know, is quite a sort of general challenge for, for lots of smaller businesses, of course, and in, in, in your world, uh, I can imagine some of the difficulties that that presents. So what would you say then, when you think about the biggest challenges from a day-to-day -day operational standpoint, um, if you could just talk a little bit about that and, and perhaps as well, how that plays with your longer term business strategy? Yeah, I mean, I think that the challenge we've taken on is essentially complete madness. It is 
building an incident response service with volunteers that will deal with up to 800 incidents a month with no income um it you know it's a tough sell right <laughs> yeah i mean if you if you if you told me 5 years ago that actually what it was going to entail i may have thought a little bit harder about starting it but but so if you think about those challenges um first of all the scale issue is really interesting because not only are, are there millions of victims in the UK um, and obviously many more globally, but we're quite focused on the UK currently, um, they need help almost immediately and they need help pretty much 24-7. You know, if somebody's about to share a video of you naked and they're, they've given you four hours to pay a ransom, they want to speak to someone right now. And the more quicker we can speak to them, the more help we can do. And so we had to really sit back and think about, you know, okay, we can get some volunteers, we can help victims, but how would we actually build a model that would scale to meet the demands of victims? And it's interesting because, you know, we work together at SecureWorks and that managed security services model. And what I understood was put a technology layer in you know, use that to filter down to these incidents that you can then send to the human beings in the SOC and they can wow. deal with those. And so we kind of landed on this model of automation. And 2018, oh. we built a chatbot. And, uh, you know, a chatbot's a chatbot. You talk to it, it's an interface, not very exciting, but useful. Um, but we built this brain that can diagnose what type of cyber crime or cyber crime somebody is describing from a plain English description. Mm. So, you know, member of the public, no IT skill says, this is what's happened to me. We do this really clever thing where we map it onto known cyber attacks. We make a probability judgment of what is this. Then we're able to go back and say, okay, cool. We think it's this. Do you agree? Yes or no. And then we can send them off for that immediate self-help. And then, the great thing about that is we're also we're also able to make that service anonymous. So if you're a bit embarrassed, you're a bit ashamed, a bit wary about putting your details into a website after you've just you know been hacked or scammed, yeah. you can use this service without any real footprint of your personal data. And what that does is it takes all of the kind of more straightforward attack types and allows us to put them through a self-help service. So we can deal with real scale at the chatbot. Then the really hard stuff or the, the really complex stuff, the stuff where somebody just needs to speak to someone, then we can put those through to the volunteers. So what we've kind of fallen on is this model of a mix of technology and a mix of human beings that allows us to scale and provide the right level of service kind of when it's needed. Um, but there have been so many um, really big challenges um, you know, scaling is one of them. Funding um, is really difficult. It's been really important to us that the service is free for the end user. We don't want the ability to pay to determine who gets help if they get hacked or not. And so that means funding through donations, going out for grants, trying to get the government to give us some money, sponsors. Um, so kind of working through that cycle of how do we how do we fund this? Um and I'd say the last thing that's been quite a big challenge really has been this isn't an area people get trained up on. There isn't 
a whole bunch of academic rigor around revenge porn or cyber stalking. And so there isn't a best practice model out there for how you deal with a cyber stalker. And so we've had to really engage with stalking charities, with academics. We've had to use some of the data we've collected to try and further thinking in these areas so we can get good outcomes for individuals. So, so this is going to sound bad, but it's kind of good in a way. Every, everything we try and do is hard because scaling a service is hard. Thinking about how to respond to these incidents is hard. Trying to work with the police and the government to take this area more seriously is hard but someone's got to do it. And we're now in a really good place to push these areas forward, which really ties into what is our strategy moving forward? Scale it, fund it, improve outcomes for victims. That's, that's awesome. That's really cool. Um, so I'm curious, how many, how many people do you have working with you? And then I know you said you do like 800 cases a month, but like, do you have an estimate of how many individuals or small businesses that you've helped so far? Yeah, so we are currently just over 70 volunteers and five part-time staff. Um, so we have some staff doing various bits and pieces for us, mostly kind of running the organization, um, kind of administration and supporting the volunteers. And then we have 70 volunteers who are from a range of backgrounds, from just graduated in computer science and you know keen to help, keen to build their CVs and learn, to chief information security officers who want to give back and you know really get the mission and the idea. So it's a real range. Um, in the in the five years that we've been taking cases, we are somewhere around thirteen and a half thousand cases that have been opened and, and dealt with and we're at that kind of run rate of 800 a month which which every time it's difficult because internal comms is difficult because every month we break the record for how many cases were open last month because it just keeps growing everyone's tired of the metric now but but you know as we get more awareness and, and we kind of build our capability more and more cases come to us and you know, it's a real mix of majority individuals. I'd say it's probably, you know, 85, 90% individuals versus 15% businesses that are coming for help somewhere around there. And interestingly, the issues aren't that different. You know, the technology might be different. The fact that a business gives them some different levers they can pull, like insurance and other bits. But they're very often exactly the same type of thing. A hacked email account, a hacked social media account, you know, lost data, those kind of things. Right. Right. So I think with that in mind, it sounds like as, as your cases go up, that's good for you. But at the same time, it's almost like there's more doom and gloom out in, you know, out in the community. So it's like a double-edged sort of proposition, right? The, the, the more that comes to you, the worse it is for people. But you're obviously trying to help them. Um, and, and I think in that group of, of people that you've helped, there's got to be some pretty crazy stories. So um, I guess a couple questions. First is, do you have like a, a most complex or, or crazy engagement that you've been a part of? Uh, maybe you can tell a quick story about what happened and you know how you helped and what the outcome was. And then I think you on the second end of this, you may have a really interesting perspective in working with different entities outside of just like the client. So maybe you can help identify some, 
some systemic issues that are existing, you know, just outside of, uh, you know, an individual or, or with those individuals, maybe you're seeing something that's common, um, but maybe again, this, the, the community, the greater support system, maybe there's some insight that you can help glean from, from that as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think, so if you take out the cases that we deal with, about out of those 13 and a half thousand, just over 30% will be in the cyber stalking and online harassment space. It's an area we didn't even think about when we started the helpline, but pretty consistently from day one, it's an area where we've had a lot of caseload. And so by default, the cyber stalking cases are really complex. They're Mm -hmm. really difficult. There's There's human issues. There's a massive impact on the victim. The fact that they're online brings the complexity. You know, are they... Are they in physical proximity? Could they cause physical damage? Are they somewhere else? Is it one person? Is it more? And the the understanding of stalking generally is pretty low. So the understanding in the police of cyber stalking is much, much lower. And the technical element just makes that tricky. But just in terms of craziness, there's one case that I dealt with maybe a year ago. And this, this lady had come to us and said, you know, I don't know. I, she wasn't even sure if it was an issue or not. And she was like, look, I've got this email and it says, you know, we know your Wi-Fi is not performing particularly well. We've set up an appointment for an engineer to come and look at your router and see if they can improve the performance. So she had seen the email, kind of assumed it was phishing, and then remembered that she had in like an account review or something mentioned that the Wi-Fi wasn't great. So she phones up the supplier and says, hey, do you have an engineer coming around in a week's time to look at my router? So they say, no, that's not us. We've checked the system. So so she's thinking, you know, this is just a really good phishing attack. Maybe loads of people are having problems with their routers. So, you know, fine. The next day, she then gets a text message from this engineer saying, just to confirm the appointment, I'm coming to see the router at, you know, two o'clock. So she's like, you know, is this a engineer from this organization or not? What's going on? So she phones up um, the organization again and says, you know, look, I'm getting text messages. I'm getting emails about this appointment. Is it you? And they're like, it's absolutely not us. And she then gets a phone call the next day from this person chasing her saying, you know, I'm coming to your house at two o'clock. So we spent all of this time trying to, you know, look at the email, look at the numbers, what can we understand here? You know, we were, we were talking to the organization, the, the kind of mobile network operator and, and um, kind of telco, and they just had no record that there was an appointment and that an engineer was coming around. So it got to a point where she had to go to the police and say, I'm not going to be in, she was a doctor, You know, she was off performing surgery somewhere in a hospital. I'm not going to be in my house. Can you send a police officer around to sit outside my front door in case essentially a criminal comes around and tries to rob me at two o'clock on Monday? And so it just got to this point where it it was, it turned out, this this engineer turned up from this organisation, had his ID badge, the whole thing. The police, like, you know, get him at the door. And it just turns out that that organization, just their systems were so bad 
that nobody could tell whether they had a member of staff coming out to that person's house or not. And it, it really paints this picture really well, I think, of just the frustration users feel. Yeah. In, you know, did you send me this email? Did you not send me this email? Should I click it? Should I not click it? Yeah. We phone up support. Oh, well, we did send it. Someone else says we did send it. You know, we just, as organizations that are communicating with the public, we need to understand when we've communicated with someone and what we've communicated. Yeah. So that if there's any doubt, they can say, well, that is a scam or it's not a scam. And so you find yourself in these kind of situations where, you know, the police are involved. There's somebody running around at the hospital, look, you know, looking at their ring doorbell, trying to work out if someone's trying to rob them. All for an organization not knowing that they booked an appointment with their own customer. Yeah. You know, craziness. Yeah. I think systemic issues, I think that's a really good one. I think organizations need to, to communicate with the public better. I think they need to provide more secure technology, um, but they need to have more of a handle on their communications and how they support individuals who have fallen victim to a scam or, or to cybercrime. But I think just systemically, I think the police and the law and international cooperation is just so far behind mm. where we need it to be to A, actually help victims who've suffered something, or B, bring about any form of justice. Um, you know, if it's a stalker or it's revenge porn, it's an ex-boyfriend, you know, those are more straightforward cases because the person's probably in the same country, same legal jurisdiction. Um, but most of these big cybercrime gangs are in a different jurisdiction and yeah. zero risk. Right. And so I think that, you know, it's a, it's a big ask, but we need to think about the law. We need to think about the technical skills of law enforcement, and we need to think about how we target criminals in different jurisdictions. Um, and we need to have a really hard thing about understanding the identity of service users on social media platforms and internet platforms generally um, because that would go a long way. And, and that's interesting, Rory. So would you <clears throat> put you on the spot a little bit? Um, I know I've thought about it and as with many big questions, there's pros and cons, but are, would you generally be in favour of, you know, no more anonymity when it comes to signing up for a Twitter account or a Facebook account or whatever it may be? I think it's got to change and I think it probably will change. And if you look at a lot of social media platforms, they have the verified identity model already. You know, you can get your blue tick and, you know, we know who this person is and we verify it is who they say they are. So it, it exists. What I'm not saying, I guess, is that everyone who uses Facebook has to share their identity with Facebook. But I think there should be a model where somewhere has that identity stored um, and in the event that that identity on Facebook um, carries out a crime, harasses someone, stalks someone, scams someone, then Facebook can click a button and that can release that identity off to the relevant police force. And so I think that anonymity online is great, but allow it not knowing the identity of who these people are on these platforms and allowing a single identity to have 50 identities online, all of which are scamming and harassing people, um, 
I just don't think that can continue um, because most of the time it's that anonymity and ability to fake identities um, yeah. which which gives the opportunity for the crime. Yeah, that's the whole foundation to it, yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, so, yeah, that's, I mean, what a fascinating area to be involved in, Rory. But I guess, as, as you've touched on, still so many frustrations with, with law enforcement and, you know, if you, if you like, society catching up with, with cybersecurity and some of the, and, and making some of these things the norms for how people use technology. And, and as you say, even those who deliver it, what needs to change there. So yeah, fascinating area. And so, so for yourself, Rory, obviously you've touched a little bit on, you know, the focus on growing the cyber helpline. Um, so yeah, anything you'd add really in terms of new projects, new aspects of, of that particular venture that are changing or you're looking to roll out um, in, in the near future? Yeah, I think there's a bunch. And because we're so limited by funding and resource, there's all these ideas of things we would do if we had money. Um, and some of those is helping individuals think how they collect evidence. Because a lot of what we do is say, okay, you've got a cyber stalker or someone's hacked this account. How do we find the kind of indicators of compromise? How do we find what's in there? How do we collect that evidence so that we could then package it up and give it to the police. And that's a real kind of manual process currently. And then once we eventually get them to take back control of those accounts or devices, how do you get them to secure it and keep it up to date? And so they feel confident because part of our job is to um, confirm something's happened or not, then help them recover. But then, you know, People think cybersecurity is boring. You know, if you're a member of the general public, you literally don't care right up until the point where it's all you care about because something's gone really, really wrong. Right. I, I think we think a lot about how do we get people to engage in cybersecurity? You know, there's lots of great things in schools and, you know, big government campaigns, but people are listening when they've just had a problem. And so I think a big part of our job is capturing that attention and saying, okay, how do you be more secure online? How do you do these kind of incremental things that will make you better? So I think we spend a lot of our volunteers' time doing those things. If there was a way we could do something like the chatbot that could automate some of that journey and, and help them do those things, then again, it would free up our team to, to really kind of push forward and help more victims. Um, obviously, just the general scaling stuff. We're, we're kind of in discussions about a pilot in the US um, at the moment so we get a lot of us victims coming to us um, using right. the website and guides you know, the chatbot but we just don't have the resource or funding to provide service in the us so we're talking to a local organization there and some volunteers about just you know the people who do come to us why don't we just train you guys up send them over to you and just see how it goes for six months and work out if we want to try and expand something into the us um and then I think one of the things we're going to have to mature into is obviously, you know, we want to keep helping victims. We want to be that instant response service, but we want to mature our organization too, where we can start campaigning for change. And so, you know, we see all these things every day, you know, 
the ability for people just to create online adverts that are obviously scams without any real kind of checks and balances, you know, the identity piece and social media, all these areas where government policy, where law probably needs to change and mature. And we, we're at a point where we've got a big data set. We've got a lot of kind of ideas. How do we start to um, drive some of that change forward so we can limit those who do become victims or when they do become victims ensure they get better help and better outcomes and so yeah that is something we're thinking about how do we drive some more systemic change rather than just just helping people and not doing anything else with the experience that we're gathering yeah and, and that's a big challenge in cyber isn't it how do you <clears throat> how do you enforce more of the prevention is better than cure Right. logic which generally is is good logic uh, whatever part of life you're in but yeah as you say you're you're faced with people who are in an emotional state they're right in that that kind of uh maelstrom of concern and and worry um so your main thing your main purpose is to help them but yeah wouldn't it be great if you know we could push for more information education and, and people to be better prepared and avoid where they can um but yeah so so many interesting aspects there as you talk about the law as well uh rory i'm sure you know there could be another podcast probably hosted by somebody slightly more knowledgeable than me that uh, could go, go into that one but um so for those for those listeners who are interested in helping support an organization like yours um rory um what are some of the easy uh, obvious ways in, in your eyes they can they can go ahead and, and, and perhaps help you out. Yeah, so we well, there's a range of ways people in the kind of cybersecurity technology sector and just everyone can support what we're up to. Um, first of all, just understand that we're here. If you have an issue and you need expert help, even if you are in the cybersecurity industry, it doesn't mean if you have a cyberstalker, you know the playbook. And so, you know, come and get help if you need it. Um, if you've got time um, and you feel passionate about the kind of mission we're on to help victims, then you know we offer a range of volunteering um, opportunities. People can come and get involved. Um, and there's a range of different ways to engage. You know, you don't have to be on the front line talking to victims. You can be specialists in different areas, helping us with the playbooks, all the different bits. Um, money is always good. You know, you can donate. You can fundraise for us. You know, go and do a massive cycle or some sort of challenge. Um, but even just coming to our social media pages and liking them and sharing them and letting other people know that we're here. Because historically, we've been a bit nervous about saying, hey, we're a free instant response helpline for every member of the public, just in case every member of the public needs <laughs> service. Right. Um, but actually, now we're at a point where, you know, we can scale... Um, you know, we've got a lot more maturity. And so we are trying to push out there a bit more. But I think it's just something that I wasn't exposed to. I was in, you know, like you in the cybersecurity industry for a long time in a kind of business-to-business -business sense. You just don't think about that cybercrime element. No, you don't really. No. It's, it's a whole different field. And then, you know, what I've done for the last five years is seen, and, and I think also people think, oh, you know, is cybercrime that 
impactful compared to other types of crime and this online thing is kind of a bit silly for some people you, you dive into this area and you see how people's lives are being ripped apart sure. by scams by stalkers and so you know have a think about that area be conscious of it think about your staff in your organizations or your customers you might be facing those things on your platform and just be more mindful around end user cyber security so so yeah, there's loads of ways. The website has lots of stuff on it, um, the cyberhelpline.com, and you know anything helps because we're trying to do something really hard, <laughs> and uh, and there's lots more hard work to come. Yeah, Rory, I know when we were off camera, if you will, before the show, we were, and and as you joined us, we were talking about the the the, the holiday coming up and discussing you know heroes here in, in America, and it was kind of tongue in cheek when when you came in because. Darren said, oh, hey, here, speaking of heroes, you know, here's, here's Rory. And I think in getting to know you through this podcast, you, you definitely are serving the mission of like an everyday hero out there. I didn't know very much about you and what it is that, that you do, but, um, I, you know, it was a pleasure speaking with you and getting to, to understand your message and your mission out in the community. And I know for Darren, he was excited to, to join his old mate again and, and catch up and have a chat. So, you know, thanks for, for carving out some time and, and for joining us and, and sharing your story. And, and thanks for what you're doing out there in the community. I think it definitely is, is much needed. Uh, and like I said, I, it, I think at, at first it was tongue in cheek, but at the end of the show, uh, I think you, you certainly are an everyday hero out there for the community. So um, for our listeners, be sure to, to check Rory out on, on LinkedIn. Uh, make sure you give him a follow. Um, and you can also obviously follow us where we'll all be sharing details about, you know, all the exciting things that we'll be doing in the coming weeks and, and months. Um, and uh, as always, guys, thanks for tuning in. And we look forward to catching you next time here on Burned by the Firewall. Mm-hmm.